Thank you, Rebecca. Thank you for Rebecca for starting that clap. <clears throat> hey, so I'm up here because I'm going to introduce our speaker, but I'm also going to introduce a new series that we're kicking off this weekend. <clears throat> we're kicking off a new series on missions. And it's very obvious in the Bible that God is on a mission. And it's a mission to rescue people, to bring them from darkness to light, to uh, bring them from not knowing him to knowing him. And uh, you and I are part of that mission. Here's a couple of verses that I think will be familiar to many of you. Matthew 28, 19, Jesus said, therefore go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I've given you and be sure of this, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. And then one of my favorites, Acts 1, 8, Jesus said, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be my witnesses, telling people about me everywhere, in Jerusalem, throughout Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And I love these verses because they are two of many that we could have looked at, but they make it real clear that you and I are part of this mission that God is doing on planet Earth. And that mission can be either right in our homes, right in our neighborhoods, or it can be uh, on another country across the earth. And, and so this is going to be a series where we're looking at missions, uh, primarily focusing on missions that are overseas. And uh, so over the next few weeks, we're going to have next weekend Tim and Betsy Kubaki, which I know many of you know Tim and Betsy. They're missionaries sent from this church who are working in uh, Angola, but I know many of you don't know them, so I'm excited for them to come and, uh, and share a bit about what they're doing. The following weekend, JT uh, will be back from Brazil. If you've been on Facebook, you've seen all the pictures of all the cool stuff they've been doing. He'll come back and give us a report. Uh, uh, and and uh, just fill us in with, with pictures and etc. And then the final week, we've got a couple uh, that I'm going to be interviewing. And uh, they've been here before, but they're working in a sensitive part of the world. And uh, so we're not going to be recording the final week, just so you know. Uh, but I'll be interviewing them. And if you remember this couple, they were the, the guys that sold Persian rugs. Do you remember that? For those of you that were here, they're going to be selling Persian rugs again. Uh, mine no longer flies. I guess there's a warranty. Uh, so I'll be trading mine in for a newer model. But, um, but this morning, I've asked Danny, Danny Meyer, to come and really establish the foundation of this church, Vineyard Church, Delaware County, and our history uh, in missions, primarily in Brazil. And I know when I say Danny Meyer, I look around this room and I know most of you go, yeah, I know Danny Meyer, but I know some of you don't. So Danny and Penny Meyer, along with Dennis and Evie Stranges, planted this church way back, way back in 2002. Uh, I think I was four years old. And... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Very mature. Well, no, not. But now look at that. He's coming up. See, he's shutting me down. He's like, get off the stage, boy. But uh, Danny and Fanny, uh, uh, Danny's going to come. Uh, let's end, wrap it up here. Danny's going to come and uh, talk to us about our, uh, just our history and mission. So let's welcome Danny Meyer. <laughs> Good morning. I remember you. You know, there, there's, there are a few topics that I would enjoy more uh, talking about than, than missions. Uh, and it's important, though, as we, as we talk about missions, that we, we see it in, in context. We understand that, uh, that mission isn't simply overseas missions, world missions, but it, it's far broader than that. So I'm going to pray and ask that God would give us just a, a vision, an understanding of, of mission, 
not just overseas mission that we get to embrace and that, that we have been called to. So, Father, I give you this time. I ask that you come and be with me. Help me to, to speak with clarity. And, and, Lord, help us to be captured by the call on our lives that we get to participate in with you. So come and be with us in Jesus' name. Amen. So, as I said, primarily I'm going to be talking about foreign missions, but I want us to, to have context. I want us to, to see the context of, of what mission is. And, and mission simply is referring to, it's a sort of a, a biblical concept, referring to the, the fact that, that we're called and we're sent with a task, with an assignment, that we have a, a job, we have a, we have a purpose. And it's important to understand that every single one of us is called to mission. Every single one of us, in other words, have been called by God and been given various tasks, various responsibility, various privileges that we get to co-minister with him. We get to take on, on his mission, his purposes, that he is bringing from heaven to earth. You've heard me over the years talk about how it's our privilege and our responsibility to take handfuls of heaven through our lives, throughout our days, take handfuls of heaven of God's purposes and his plans and bring them through our lives into, into this world. And that's what mission is all about. The fact that God has called us and given us the right to co-labor with him in doing his good works, bringing his grace, his kingdom, his, his reign, and his rule from heaven to earth. And as I said, every single one of us have various missions. Uh, some are short-term missions for a day, an afternoon, an hour, where God says, here's something I have for you. I'm calling for you to, to engage, to talk to, to smile at that person in line in front of you at Kroger. Some are longer-term missions. We may be called as a, uh, as a parent, a father or a mother, a husband. We may be called to different responsibilities within the body of Christ. Unfortunately, there's been such a, a trend in our culture to professionalize everything, we tend to think that, that, that mission and, and calling has to do with just being a foreign missionary or a pastor. And it it's, does such a disservice to the understanding of God's calling, of God's true mission that he gives and shares with everybody. That we, we've professionalized it and we then fail to recognize that we all are called to participate with him as we bring his grace from heaven to earth as God works through our lives. That the purpose of our lives isn't to draw attention to ourselves. The purpose of, of our lives isn't to simply manage sin and avoid sin and, and obey the rules. But we have been called and given this divine privilege to allow our lives to, to point to him, that every one of you have been created to reflect who he is, and that he's given you this, this ability and the, the grace to, to do it, to allow your life 
to reflect him as you do his, his good works, as he does his good works through you. You know, I, I'm reminded when, when we first began this church back in 2002, right from the beginning, on the, there's a little plaque up here uh, on the top of the, the, this, this music stand, and it says, remember, they didn't come to hear you, to uh, come here to see you, they came here to see Jesus. I put that on there to remind me and, and everyone who speaks from this pulpit that we are here to let people see and hear and be captured by him. You are placed where you're at in the jobs, in the roles, in the positions you're at to be able to point to Jesus. What an incredible, incredible privilege that is. You see, the, the normal Christian life really can be summed up with two words. Here, here's here's the, the normal Christian life. Come, go. To every single one of us, he says, come and draw near. Come and know me. Come and, and learn to recognize my voice as I, as I whisper in your ear. Come and, and learn to, to be able to be attuned to those, those nudges, those, that, those times when I, when I steer your life, from, sometimes through circumstances, sometimes just through the, the direction and the, the leading, the guidance of the Holy Spirit within you. But for every one of us, his first word to us is come, know me. Come and hear my voice. Come and be made alive from and, and, and through this relationship that I've called you to. And as we draw near to him, as we know him, he begins to, to show us those purposes, those tasks, those, those missions that we get to participate in. It's, that's the normal Christian life. And, and failure, let me say this, this is important. Failure to understand that every single one of us are called to mission. Failure to understand that God has a purpose for your life, that you were not only uniquely made, but you were made for a purpose. If we don't understand that, if we don't embrace that, then we've diminished the ability to experience that full and satisfying life that God has called us to. Jesus promised that he, he didn't come to kill and destroy and to, to crush us like the enemy does, but he's come to give us an abundant life, a life full and satisfying. And the way that we embrace that full, satisfying life isn't by collecting all the toys we can gather. It's not by, by trying to, to suck the life out of other people or suck the life out of the things in this world, though we, we can be grateful for those things. The way we experience a full and satisfying life is by coming close to him and coming to discover that we are created for a purpose, that he can use us. So he calls us to come and then he says, and now I'm allowing you to go and accomplish those things that you are uniquely created for. To go and find how God's spirit, how the spirit of God can work through you, sometimes in spite of you, to reflect his goodness, to reflect his grace. The normal Christian life coming and going, 
but we always go in his presence, accompanied by that indwelling spirit, never alone. We are all called to a mission. In that sense, we're all missionaries. We're all ambassadors for Christ, the Bible says. Our homes, our apartments, our, our offices and cubicles at work are all embassies, outposts of his kingdom, of his grace. But today we're going to talk about foreign missions. We're going to talk about God calling us as a, as a church, as individuals, to be aware of those outside our borders. It's always been near to God's heart to not just be concerned about those who, who have access, those who are already near, but God's heart has always been for those who are far off, those who are lost, those who've been pushed aside, those who find themselves just cast aside. The last words that Jesus said, Michael uh, read from this verse uh, this morning as he introduced me. The, the last words that Jesus spoke, Matthew 28, 18, to the disciples was telling them to go and make more disciples of all the nations, of all the people groups, to baptize them and to teach them to obey, to teach those disciples that you gather to to do all those things that I've told you to do. And he reminds them, and I'm going to be with you as you do that. I'll be with you. Now, in Isaiah chapter 6, we, we see a, a wonderful short verse, passage, where we get a glimpse of this calling and this sending and what What's involved, the key that's involved in, in the coming and the going of, of the kingdom of God. At this point in time, in, I, in this point where Isaiah was written, Israel was apostate. Israel had turned from God, had, had gone off on their own. They, found, they find themselves far, far from those purposes that they were designed for. And God sees this and his heart breaks for it and he wants to, to draw them back to him. And in, in Isaiah chapter 6, we read, it says, Isaiah writes, I, I heard the Lord asking, whom shall I send as a messenger to this people? Who will go for us? Who will speak to them? And then Isaiah responds. He says, I said, here I am. Send me. Here we see this little, through a, a keyhole, this glimpse into this calling of, into missions, into the assignments given. You have God's call awaiting our response. And I, I want us to understand this. God is continually speaking, calling into the universe, saying, who, who can I send on this assignment? Who is willing to respond to this opportunity? Who will take on this handful of heaven that I want to deliver into the time and, and, and space of, of your world? 
waiting for individuals like you and like I to, to respond and say, here, here I am, <laughs> such as I am. Would you use me? And the answer is yes. And then he may take time in preparing us. He may thrust us out immediately. But God is constantly saying, who can I send on my missions? Who is willing to co-labor with me? And looking for individuals who will say, here I am. Use me. Here I am. Let me come and and co-labor with you. It's interesting. They call that verse in Matthew 28, 18, the, the great commission, the great co-mission. It's his mission, but we get to co-labor with him, and we all are commissioned. As I said, God is looking for men and women who are willing to say, here I am. Here I am, use me. And as I look at, at Vineyard, uh, Vineyard's long history of, of foreign missions, and primarily it's, it's been in, in the country of Brazil, there, there's an amazing stories that reflect the, the coming and the going, the calling and the releasing of, of, of God's ministry in Brazil. There's an individual, a man I met back in, uh, actually I met him initially in, in 1989, I believe, a man named Luke Huber. And, and Luke, actually he grew up on the mission field. He's a, a missionary kid. His parents were missionaries in a large city in southern Brazil. But growing up, Luke always heard about and always had a, a desire to go up to, to where he, he saw the adventure really was, up on the Amazon. So when Luke was about 20, 21 years old, he was newly married, he gathered his family, moved up to northern Brazil onto a, a tributary in the Amazon. He was uh, called Tapajós River. And Luke and his, his wife, Christina, and his family, young children, moved up into the Amazon region on their own and began to, to, to live out the, a call on his life. And I want you to understand, I, I knew Luke well. He became a very good friend of mine over the years. And Luke was, he, he, was a, he was a maverick. He had an adventurous heart. I mean, he was a one-of-a-kind person. Luke, uh, he, he bought a kit to build an uh, ultralight airplane. They sent it down to him. He put it together, and, and he just, off he went. He, he loved flying. And he would have this ultralight. It was a two-seater little Airplane. It was. It's hard to describe because it was just a bunch of metal and, and a couple of wings popping out and a and a propeller. But he used to take that up. I'd come, I'd go down there to Brazil, and Luke would get me in his ultralight. He'd he'd go up and fly over the Amazon, over the jungle. He'd chase the geese and flocks of of ducks that were flying around and and trying to catch them. Luke just loved the adventure of being 
up in the Amazon region. But what Luke most loved is going and finding these little villages in the jungle. Little villages, and, and there are over 100,000 villages, probably far more that we don't even know about, along the Amazon River and the tributaries. Luke used to love going and out on his own and, and finding those vill little villages and begin to tell those people about Christ, about what God had done in his life about the, the fact that God saw them. They weren't invisible to God. God saw them. And so often, individuals from these villages would hear about Luke, would go out and, and find. They'd hear he's, he's, his, his little, uh, what do they call it, biplane or a plane that can land on a river? Seaplane? He had little floats on his, on his ultralight. They'd hear that he had landed on the river. And Luke recounted story after story where a village would send some of their, their elders and they would find Luke and they'd say, listen, our, our children are, are, are dying. Our crops are failing. We don't know how to live. Won't you come and tell us how to live this life? We'll, <laughs> in fact, many of them would say, you tell us how to live and we'll do whatever you tell us to do. We just need help. We just need help. And, and Luke would have opportunity to plant church after church after church on the Amazon. Luke would have the opportunity to again co-minister with Christ. There was nothing special about Luke. In fact, some of his risk-taking eventually took his life. He died in that ultralight. He cra it crashed into the river and he didn't survive. But Luke, that was about 20 years ago. But Luke was one of those individuals who heard God say, who's willing to go up to northern Brazil? Who's willing to go up to the Amazon region? And as a young man said, here I am. Use me. And God indeed used Luke and his family over and over and over again. Luke, at one point, he was in Canada, of all places, he was in Canada and he was... <laughs> oh, boy. <laughs> he was in Canada, he was speaking at a church. And there was a, a, a young father, husband in that church, named uh, Rick Bergen. You can put that second slide up. That's Rick. Rick's a good friend, longtime friend of mine as well. And Rick happened to be in that, in that church listening that day. Rick, Rick, anyone ever see the, the TV show Ice Road Truckers, I think it's called? You know, they have these, these roads that are, are carved out of the ice and on lakes up in the Canadian Arctic, uh, way, way, way up north. Uh, and Rick's job was he made those roads. He'd go out with a crew. They would be out for a month, two months at a time, stay in a little cabin out in the remote areas, and he, with his bulldozers and whatever else they used to, to carve out those roads, that's, that was Rick's job. And he, he was just a, just a good guy, faithful husband, good father. But to look at Rick, to listen to Rick, you'd say, well, there, there's nothing special about him. But God saw something different. 
Because, see, when, when Rick was in that church meeting, hearing Luke Huber talk about missions on the Amazon, something stirred in his heart. The Holy Spirit began to tug at him. And afterwards, Rick went up to Luke and he said, you know, Luke, I don't, I don't have any Bible, back, uh, you know, seminary or Bible school background, but I really want to be used. And, and what, what you do and the churches that you plant, is there any chance that my family and I would be able to do that? And Luke said, if God's calling you, he'll make a way. And over a period of a year or two, and, and with the, making plans and raising support, et cetera, Luke and his family, Luke, uh, I mean, Rick and his family, Dee and his, his girls, ended up moving down to where Luke lived on the Amazon or on the tributary and began to grow in his language skills, grow in his ability, simply because he was a man that said, here I am, his wife Dee, here I am, won't you use us? God said, come, and now I'll send you to do those tasks. So Luke, I mean, uh, Rick ministered with Luke and under Luke's uh, guidance there in, in uh, Santorin for quite a number of years. And then at a certain point, they were, the, the, the mission that, that Luke had started called PAUSE Mission, Project Amazon Mission, wanted to, to plant a, a base on another tributary. And he turned to, to Rick and his wife Dee and said, would you guys be willing to move to this other river, to the Shingu River, about 300 miles away? and set up a base there and begin to, to plant churches on the, on the Shingu River and the, the portion of the Amazon that, that the Shingu flows out of. And again, Rick and his family and some other families that had gone with him, Bud and Suzanne Simon and others, said, if God's willing to use us, we'll go. So God sent Rick and Dee and other families to, the, to uh, Altamira. And over time, uh, they connected with the vineyard. I got to know Rick, and, and actually in 1997, got to know Rick and went and did a short-term mission trip, took a team down to, uh, to the base that he started. And he got captured by the vision and the, and the, the, the flavor of the vineyard. And th that base became part of a, a, a new mission called Shingu Mission. And the Shingu Mission, unlike the Paz Mission, which is a wonderful mission that still is going strong, but the Shingu Mission that Rick started just plants vineyard churches. When I first went to, the, uh, to meet with Rick and be at, at uh, his base with, with those families, there was, there was one church. It's called the Central Vineyard in Altamira. But over time, other people came. Churches began to multiply to where there are now over 100 vineyards that are planted really all over the Amazon and the Shingu River, all over Brazil, just because of the multiplication, simply because some guy who was up in the Arctic in Canada 
plowing out ice roads, said, here I am, Jesus, would you use me? And the Lord said, absolutely, certainly. And sent them out. And things began to multiply. Well, a few years after Rick and Dee were in Altamira and had begun this, the, the Shingu mission, teams began to go there. One day, one afternoon, this, this young girl, she was 16 years old. Her name was Elba. Well, put the next picture up. That's Elba. That's Elba more recently. But Elba was about 16. She had moved. I don't remember exactly why she moved to, to Altamira, but she moved to Altamira. She was on her own. And she heard about these Canadians who, were, who had moved there to the city, and they had a fairly large family, young children. And she went up to the door of Rick and Dee's house, knocked on the door and said, listen, I'm, I'm new here to, to Altamira. I, I really need a job. Would you, would you hire me? I'll be your maid. I'll be your, your nanny. I'll help the children. I'll do whatever you ask me to do. But would you hire me? Elba, at that time, she wasn't, a, she wasn't a Christian. She didn't know anything about the church, but she just was a, a person in need. Well, Rick and Dee saw opportunity, and they saw a young, a young woman who was, was eager to, to build relationship. So they invited her to come and live with them, and she began to sort of be an extension of their family, helped Dee out with the kids, helped out you know, over time, and as you would assume, as is often the case, she saw the reflection of Christ through Rick and Dee and, and the others, and she became a Christian. And not too long after that, Elba said to, to Rick and Dee, you know, I, I, I love what God is doing. And I love that God saw me and that God knows me, and I, I would love to be used to serving in the church. And the Brazilian pastor of the church at that time said, well, Elba, right now, you know what we need most? We need someone to go and clean the restrooms in the church. Actually, they were outhouses. We need someone to go and clean the outhouses. And, and I remember Elba saying to, to Penny and I, you know, if that's how I could serve God and if that would serve the church, that was fine with me. And I'm going to make those outhouses sparkle. If you can make outhouses sparkle. But Elba had that heart to, to be used. Elba was just a simple, simple country girl herself, but a willingness to say, God, here I am, use me. And it was recognized. Eventually, Rick and Dee sent Elba to a Bible school in Brazil where Elba grew and learned and, and got herself saturated in, in the scriptures, came back. Long story short, Elba clearly is one of the most prolific church planters now in the Amazon region of Brazil. It's, it's under Elba's leadership and ministry and teaching that many of those hundred, over hundred churches that are, are now vineyard churches, many of which are in northern Brazil on the, on, on the Amazon and its tributaries, it's either directly or indirectly, through Elba, through her training and, and teaching of others. And here, who is she? She was some country girl who just simply said, 
here I am. Whatever I can do, if it's cleaning out houses or if it's planting churches, whatever I can do, I want to be used, God. God said, oh, you're what I'm looking for and brought her into his purposes. So God began to use Elba, as I said, and right now Elba oversees all the vineyards that have been planted in the northern region of Brazil under the, the Association of Vineyard Churches in Brazil. Let me tell you a story about another individual. Put that next picture up. This is Milton Lucas. And Milton, Milton was a, he was an attorney, a good attorney down in southern Brazil. And he was in a, in a church that had a, a vineyard connection in southern Brazil. It's sort of a freestanding church because the vineyards in the southern portion of Brazil at that time weren't nearly as well connected to other vineyards in Brazil because most of them were up north. But Luke's, uh, Luke's father-in-law was a pastor of a church. It wasn't a vineyard, just an independent church. And his father-in-law, his, his wife's uh, name is Erica. Erica passed away this last year. She had, had cancer. But Erica's father, Luke, Luke's, uh, uh, or um, Milton's father-in-law, uh, passed away, and, and the church said, we, we need someone to take over. And, and uh, Milton said, well, let me, let me help, and we'll do a search for, for someone. And they said, well, we think you should take over. Milton said, you know, I'm an attorney. I have a practice. I have an established career here. I, I, I don't, I'm not made to be a pastor. And they said, well, will you pray about it? Will you consider whether God's calling you to, to pastor this church that your father-in-law started? Long story short, God began to call and prod Milton. And Milton responded. And again, Milton found that God was willing to use him. And, and here, over and over again, we see this consistent story where God takes ordinary people and through them accomplishes extraordinary things simply because he's an extraordinary God. And God used Milton. And now Milton is the, the overseer of the Association of Vineyard Churches for Brazil. And Milton himself has planted over many churches now in southern Brazil. But the point I want us to understand is God is simply looking for people who say, here I am, use me. I remember it was in, as I said, it was in 1989 that I made my first trip to Brazil. And as I said, there was, there was, uh, you know, when I first went, there was a single vineyard, at least, that was called a vineyard. It, was, it wasn't even called a vineyard at the time. It was just a, a church, and they, had, they were friends of the vineyard. And over, over a period of time, I got to build relationship with more and more pastors. And since 1989, I just, I've gone down there, well, it's been... Every year, at least once or twice, Penny and I, Penny would join me on most of those trips. 
And we'd go down there and we would simply do training classes and equipping classes with, with pastors and leaders and, and uh, individuals in, in the different, the few churches that began to, to spring up. Eventually, as I said, the sh- we connected with, with Rick Bergen and, and, and vineyards began to get planted. But for 30 years, I just simply went down there year after year after year. Now, what I've come to understand is, you know, I know myself fairly well. And I, I recognize I'm not the sharpest pencil in the pack. You know, I'm not the, the, the smartest guy. I'm not the best teacher. I'm, there's so many things that I don't do well. But the reason why God was, was willing to use me, even though the Brazilians did the heavy lifting, I just got to go once or twice a year and do some training, The reason why God apparently used me is because I just showed up. I just kept on going. But that's all God is looking for. Someone who says, here I am, would you use me? And says that and asks that and gives themselves to his purposes over and over. Whether it's a sound person or an audiovisual person or a Sunday school teacher or a volunteer or a greeter or a missionary, God is looking for people who say, I'm willing to build relationship and to show up. And this has been the principle. This has been the principle of Vineyard or Vineyard Church of Delaware County missions. Over the years, I mean, there are a lot of churches that, you know, you go to their church and they'll have a, a board or something of missionaries that they support and the countries that they're involved in or have been involved in. And it could be 20, 30, 40 countries, missionaries all over. They do short term missions and every year or every few years they'll go to a different country, a different continent. But one of the things the Lord has shown us is that consistency Faithfulness bears enormous fruit, enormous fruit. So philosophically, one of the things that we here at at Vineyard Church of Delaware County have committed to is when it comes to missions, overseas missions, we want to go deep and narrow. So primarily, most of our missions are focused in Brazil, we're involved now with, with uh, Tim uh, Kabaki and Betsy Kabaki in Angola because we got to know there's, well, actually, they came out of our church. We sent them down to Brazil initially. And then because Angola is a, a Portuguese-speaking country as well, they ended up going to Angola. Sort of sent out as missionaries out of Brazil to Angola. But we have relationship with them, so that's, we're connected there. But we're committed to being relationally driven And to go deep and narrow because it bears such enormously good fruit long term. We're also committed to be involved in world missions that are church planting focused. Their goals are planting churches. Now, it doesn't mean that uh, missions that are just simply involved in orphanages or, or schools or, or uh, social programs, there's a problem with that. But I think what we've come to see and what we're committed to 
is, is understanding and recognizing that through the local church, there can be the orphanages and the care for the street kids and there can be schools and there can be clinics and there can be social organizations. But planting churches allows there to be longevity because oftentimes, and I've seen it over the, the 30 years I've been involved in missions, so often what we find when there are these freestanding missions that are doing good works, they if it's not rooted and flowing out of the local church, when the North Americans, either the personnel or the money, dries up, it stops. But when you make it your goal to plant churches and let the churches take care of the, 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 the needs and train them to know how to, to gather and grow and, and care for their communities, then there's longevity then it doesn't just last as long as there's the North American personnel and the North American money. It lasts because it's indigenous. It, the churches that we've been involved in planting are pastored as soon as possible by Brazilians, not by North Americans, who missionaries who go down there. The missionaries are there to, to raise up and train Brazilians. And it's those churches that are able to impact their community that's what we're committed to because we want, again, we want longevity in the fruit. We don't want to just do ministry. We don't want, don't want to just be involved in mission. We want to be involved in mission that goes on not just for a decade or two, but for centuries. You know, it was a thrill. I was just talking to my son, JT. We were texting back and forth. He's down there with a the team from this church. And a couple of nights ago, he was speaking in a, uh, at a river church in Gurupa on the Amazon River with the team. And it was 20 years ago that actually JT was with me as a, as a teenager. I had taken, I have taken all my kids down to Brazil. That I, that I spoke at Gurupa. There was no church there. No, and Gurupa is based, their, their biggest output in Gurupa is, built, is carving and, and selling idols. That's what Guru Paz is known for. But, but we took a team down there. We did a real large evangelistic outreach. And a, 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 a church, a vineyard was, was planted there. And here, 20 years later, the church is still there. It's going strong. It's developing. They're involved in planting churches elsewhere. And JT got to speak there. See, there's longevity when it's church-based, when it's local church-based. Let me just finish up here. I'm going to take a, a, a few minutes here. And I, I want to talk, say this. It doesn't fit into what I've been saying directly, but I want to talk about four things that missionaries won't tell you. But I will. First thing, when you meet a missionary overseas, a foreign missionary... I want you to understand, though they're not going to probably talk to you about it, being a missionary overseas is a lonely, lonely thing. You're, you're in a different culture. You're, though it, it, may, it may seem somewhat similar, it just feels different. You're having to learn and communicate a different language that most missionaries are still growing and trying to develop in. You're away for most holidays. 
You don't get to see your, your cousins, your nephews, your nieces, your, your, your family on the important occasions and holidays when they're gathering. You're taken out of, of your church family where you are familiar with the songs and, and can hear the, the preaching and know the language of the person who's preaching and thrust into a context where much of the preaching, much of the conversation, again, is another language. So being a missionary is lonely. Second thing, when you meet a missionary, you just realize this as you think about them, as you interact, and as you pray for them. Most every missionary that I've ever met deals with significant guilt. And the reason why they deal with guilt is because most missionaries I've ever talked to constantly feel that they're not doing enough. They're not producing enough. They're not bearing enough fruit. They feel like they're going to disappoint their church that sent them. They're going to, they, they feel that they're going to disappoint the, the donors that support them. They feel like they're going to disappoint the people that they're serving because they just don't have the language yet well enough or they don't have the, the skills yet. So most missionaries deal with guilt, though the matter of, of tr as a matter of truth, most missionaries, because again, though they're ordinary people, an extraordinary God is with them, are accomplishing enormous things. But as we pray for the missionaries that, that you know and that we'll be hearing from over the next few weeks, keep that in mind. Third thing is just realize that life is hard because most of the missionaries that we send out are in third world countries. And it, it, so life is hard. What we do that might take us 15 minutes going to the bank Getting, depositing or, or, or withdrawing some money, literally in, in Brazil at least, it's not unusual for you to be in line for four or five hours to get into the bank just to take money out. When you go to a grocery store, and it may take you a half an hour to do your grocery shopping, in Brazil, a simple task like that, they may have to go to five, six, seven different stores. This store will provide the meat. That store was out of the milk, and that store was out of the, the vegetables, so you have to pop around here, and, and, and it, could take, it could be a day-long day task. It's, it's a lot more difficult to be faithful in the mundane things of life. Missionaries realize also that what they weren't really great at in the United States, they really stink at in another country. See, we think become a missionary, you go down to a foreign country, you go down to Brazil, and it's exciting, and you get to, to preach a gospel and see the fruit, and, and churches are popping up. I mean, if you have difficulty in relationships in the United States, it's harder in Brazil. It's harder in Angola. It's harder in any third world country. If you have difficulties in connecting with God in the United States, you're going to have more difficulty down there because you're far more isolated. Things are just more difficult, just harder. Remember that as you meet and pray for missionaries. Finally, missionaries hate asking for money. There is not a missionary that I ever met that told me the thing that I enjoy most 
But being a missionary is raising support. Yeah, that's, the th- that's what they hate most. That's what they dislike. That's, it's like pulling teeth. Because it's, you can imagine. How many of you only get paid because of you asking people to support you? But that's how they're supported. Now, vineyard, our vineyard gives a, a, a portion of their support. But I think it's only probably about a quarter or a third. The rest come from us. So when you meet a missionary and they perhaps sheepishly at the end of a, a conversation, say, well, yeah, if you want to, to, to help us, here, here's our card. Realize how difficult that is, but how much it's needed, because that's how they provide for themselves. That's how they provide for their family. And one of the things I would suggest for all of us is when you meet a missionary, make that one of the questions you ask. How are you doing financially? And then pray how God might want you to respond. But the greatest thing I want to leave us with today, especially as it comes to, as we talk about foreign missions, is that we get to participate with them. We get to participate in foreign mission as a sending church. We get to pray for them. We get to communicate with them. We get to, to support them. And there are some of you that are going to go with them. Short-term missions, some of you here today may be out on the mission field in the years to come because God is simply looking for people who say, here I am, use me however you wish. Why don't you stand up?